0: Exactly in the middle of the Bibles, in the pew, you will find Psalm 119, page 437. Psalm 119, starting at verse 25. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted your ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I've set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding. And I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servants so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws, I will obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands, because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees And the New Testament reading is from 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, probably Paul's very last letter from the aged Paul in prison for the second time in Rome to Timothy, to the young Timothy, page 842, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 13. What you have heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with hope and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Homogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself.
1: Thanks, Peter. So good having the the Bible read. Uh, uh, My welcome, my name is Paul. I'm a bit uh, husky, a bit croaky tonight. So I'm thankful for microphones, and I'm thankful that the word always goes out despite the weakness of the preacher. Also conscious of Nick and Megan are getting married next Saturday, so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for us as we hear the word. Uh, Father, we thank you for church family. We thank you that we can gather to praise you. Uh, Thank you, Father, for the marriage of uh, Nick and Megan next Saturday. We pray it will be a great day where uh, our Lord Jesus is honored and glorified, and we pray that you would bless them in their married life together. Lord, we thank you for time now in the scriptures. Uh, lord, we pray that as your word goes out we would love it we would meditate on it we would say that we love your law and like the psalmist lord we would cling to it and speak of it wherever we can and we ask that for jesus sake amen <coughs> this man is a name called is a man called algimantis i met him in london about 15 years ago he's a pastor of a church in Lithuania, in Vilnius. I went to a conference with pastors. He told me how he regularly prepares and faithfully prepares sermons every single week. And each week about 60 or 70 people turn up at his church in Vilnius. As I chatted to him, he told me how often he would be discouraged in his ministry and how hard it was and how difficult it was just to keep on preaching and teaching each week. He explained how down the road in Vilnius, there was a, a church, a large church of about 1,000, 2,000 people, and they had more money than he had, they had more social action programs, they had more people there, it was a cooler place to be. He said there it, it were times in his ministry where he was tempted and kept asking, why do I bother? Why don't I just send these 60 or 70 people down the road to that church? And he said these words to me. He said, I don't send them because the church down the road is not preaching Jesus. I don't send them because that church down the road is not preaching the true gospel. I could send them there, uh, but I'm concerned for their salvation. Because down the road, they're not taught about Jesus as Lord, just Jesus as Savior. They're taught that Jesus satisfies, but there's, nothing, there's no reason to li- live for him as your Lord and your Savior. And there's the man, Algimantis, who I think is a hero. Because he just guards the gospel. He just teaches the gospel week in, week out. He's not concerned about numbers. He's just concerned about being faithful to God's word. This is a girl called Sophia. Sophia spent a year of her university degree in Spain, in southern Spain. She spent the first few weeks looking for a church to attend, and then she made a really, really hard choice. She decided to catch three buses and travel for an hour each way each Sunday to get to church. Why would she do that? Because she wanted to find a church where she would be taught the Bible each week. Uh, She could go to a local church, but as she went there, she visited, she realized they weren't actually teaching the scriptures. They weren't teaching Jesus as Lord and Savior. And she realized that a year in that church would be like a drip, drip effect. And a year later, her faith would have been eroded. And so she made that hard choice to travel two hours on a Sunday just to hear the Bible taught. And she actually spent the year in Spain getting a group of people together. And she taught these people two ways to live. She trained them in Bible study leading. And she left behind in southern Spain a little group of people who'd been equipped and empowered and trained to love the gospel and to teach the gospel. Now, she's a hero because she guarded the gospel. This is Timothy. We met him last week. He's a pastor of a church in Ephesus. He's had a great trainer. His name's the Apostle Paul. Uh, but this guy, Timothy, is tempted to give up and tempted to walk away from gospel ministry. Why? What's his problem? The problem was that in Ephesus, there was a, a group of people who were bringing a new gospel, a false gospel that brought all the, all the promises of heaven down to earth, that you could enjoy happiness and success all now if you put your trust in Jesus. Jesus who satisfies, but Jesus not Lord. And people are listening, and people are leaving Timothy's church to go to the church down the road where they can hear the gospel they want to hear and the God that they want to believe in. So, what's Timothy going to do? What is Paul's message to Timothy? Here's Paul's message to Timothy it's very, very simple guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. Love the gospel. Preach the gospel. Teach the gospel. Live the gospel. Cherish the gospel. Don't be discouraged. Don't be tempted to give up. Just stick with Jesus. That's to Timothy. Now friends, why is this message so relevant for us today? I think it's very relevant because we live in a city where if you don't like what's being taught in a particular church, you can get in your car and you can drive to one of, what, a hundred 200 churches and you just keep driving until you find the church that's teaching what you want to hear. But it might not be the true gospel. And it's very relevant because we we live in a culture where You know, you can go online, you can go and Google God and have your cyber Christianity and you can find an article that will tell you what you want to hear about God and you make your false God with a false gospel according to the internet. And it's very relevant because we live in a society where we've got great Christian music, amazing Christian music with great tunes and some of the words are good. But a lot of the words in the song are making promises that God never promises. And we get our theology from our songs, and that's a very dangerous thing. And we live in a world where, I hate that phrase, easy-to-read Christian book. We read the easy-to-read Christian books, which use biblical concepts and biblical words, but they don't teach the Bible because they rip verses out of context, and they make the Bible say what what God never intended to say. And it's very relevant because we at church by the bridge, could quite easily lose the gospel. Now just, just change it slightly today. In five years' time, we'll, we'll be five degrees out, 10 years time, 10 degrees out, 20 years time, 20 degrees out, and we'll have, we'll have moved so far from the gospel that Jesus is no longer Lord and savior of this church. And that's why I'm preaching a sermon. So how do you guard the gospel? Now before we go there, what is the gospel? What is this true gospel I'm going to keep harping on about tonight? It's there in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. God saved us. Saved us from what? Saved us from sin. You can't have the true gospel unless you preach sin. But Jesus is the saviour. And God called us to live a holy life. It's not just about Jesus being your saviour. It's about Jesus being your Lord. Your call to live a holy life set apart for God. And the gospel is not because of anything that we've done, verse 9. It's not about us. It's about God's purpose and God's undeserved favor, God's grace. And it's all about Jesus. That is the gospel. Jesus who saved us from sin, who caused us to live a holy life because of his grace and his mercy. Now, why are we concerned? Why are we so, so concerned that we... Guard the gospel that we preach the true gospel. Do you care if the gospel is preached in this church? What's at stake? According to Paul, down in chapter 2, verse 10, what's at stake is people's salvation. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I'll endure imprisonment. I'll suffer for the gospel For the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. Because when the true gospel is not preached, when false gospels are preached, people's salvation is at stake. It's tragic when you've got crowds of people sitting in churches, being entertained. And they're listening to sermons, but there's no Jesus or there's just part of Jesus, but not the full gospel. And that is tragic, because salvation's at stake. And it's tragic because of our Saviour, because Jesus did pay it all. He really did pay it all. It's all about him, and not about us. And the gospel of grace, that undeserved favour found in Jesus that brings life and peace and joy and salvation, it is so beautiful, it's so glorious, We should be devastated when any false gospel is preached. So how do you guard the gospel? I've got three Ps for you tonight. You guard the gospel by preaching the gospel. Not not just publicly, but personally. In your conversations, you're preaching the true gospel. What's the best way you can guard something? I think often think guarding means that you you know like the crown jewels. You, you lock them away in a lock and key so no one can see them, no one can touch them. Now, I do that with my clothes sometimes. i get got a favourite shirt of mine that I want to guard it so I put it in my wardrobe. It comes out twice a year for those special occasions. Uh, that's not the best way to guard the gospel. Keep it in a lock and key. The best way to guard the gospel is to preach it and teach it and speak it and use it. And that's what Paul says in verse 13. What you, Timothy, heard from me, Paul, keep as the pattern of sound, healthy, life-giving teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. There's a pattern to keep. There's a good deposit to guard. What is that good deposit? It's just the gospel. That trustworthy saying of 1 Timothy that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Just flick back to 1 Timothy 6. One Timothy six verse twenty. One Timothy six twenty. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you with care to your care. A turn away from godless chatter. Turn away from the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing they've wandered from the faith. See what he's saying that, that some people have distorted the gospel and changed the gospel and made it more contemporary and more relevant, but they've actually wandered away from the faith. And that's why this gospel, this good news of salvation in Christ, needs guarding. How do you do that? Verse 13: by keeping the pattern of sound teaching. It's really quite simple. What Paul did, Timothy is to do, what Timothy did, we are to do, nothing new, nothing radical not rocket science, not trendy, not cutting edge, just preaching, teaching, training, uh, uh, persuading, and it's all about Jesus. See, I'm sure that Timothy was tempted to change his message. If you were a pastor of a church and people came to you and said, come on, Timothy, you know, why do you always teach the Bible every week? Why can't we just look at books? I found a great new scroll, you know, the purpose-driven life. Why can't you preach through this? Uh, your sermons, can't you be more entertaining? Come on, a bit lighter. What's Timothy going to do? He just says, no, people need to hear the word of God. I'll preach it and I'll teach it. I'm not going to change our preaching program to suit your itching ears. It struck me that what's being taught here tonight in 2010, I pray, would be what was taught here 125 years ago when this, fir- this church first started. Nothing's changed. Uh, or the band's changed. I'm assuming they didn't have a band then. The dress sense has changed. Uh, the pews haven't changed, sadly. One, one day they might. But, you know, the message, the gospel, has not changed. And that is good news. We just keep the pattern of sound teaching. remember a dispute I was having about 15 years ago. I used to run a youth camp for 14 to 18-year-olds. We took these teenagers away for 10 days. Over the course of 10 days, we taught them the whole gospel. Creation, sin, judgment, cross, resurrection, Holy Spirit, return of Jesus, living the Christian life. But the problem was a new, trendy Christian music festival had started up in town. And so Marlies were saying to me, we've got to make our camp more entertaining. I said, no, we're going to change the style. Of course you change the style, but the content is not going to change. And I don't know where those people who went to the music festival are standing today. But I do know the people who came to the youth camp. I'm still in contact with many of them. And many of them are church leaders, Bible study leaders, keen Christians in their church. Because we just kept preaching the gospel. See, if we're playing a numbers game here, if we're driven by popularity or success, you won't preach the gospel, you'll just preach what people want to hear. Because people won't like it. According to Paul in verse 15, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted him, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. And I assume those guys are high-profile Christians. I'm assuming the church knows who they are. That's why it's so staggering they've walked away from the gospel. I reckon that's why Paul adds the end of verse 14. It's a beautiful phrase. Guard the gospel with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. We need God's help to keep preaching and teaching when people walk away from the faith. We need the Spirit's help to equip us, to empower us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to give us that peace and that assurance that this is the true word of God. And do you know where the way the Spirit often does that? H- how does the Spirit often help us? Through people. I reckon that's what he did with, with Onesiphorus in Verse 16 who traipsed the streets of Rome till he found Paul so he could refresh him. That's the empowering and encouragement of the Holy Spirit, bringing people to Paul to say, keep on suffering for the gospel. And I reckon God's done that in my life, you know. Times when I've been tempted to give up or tempted to change the message and, and that, that small conversation over a cup of coffee with a fellow brother or sister and I said, just stick at it. Just keep preaching Jesus. So that's what you do. Do you Guard the gospel in your own walk with Jesus? Do you talk about Jesus? Do you correct error? Do you teach truth in those one-on-one conversations? Do you go home from church on a Sunday night and check that what I'm saying actually comes from the scriptures? Are you discerning like that? Do you actually know your Bibles well enough to be that discerning? You guard the gospel by preaching it, you guard the gospel by passing it on. There's a great flow in 2 Timothy. 1 verse 11, God entrusted Paul with the gospel. 1 verse 14, uh, Paul entrusted Timothy with the gospel. And then 2 verse 2, the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. What Paul is saying is. Paul's saying, I'm about to die. I've entrusted the gospel to you, Timothy, but you won't be around forever. So, Timothy, make sure that you pass on that trustworthy gospel to the next generation who will pass it on to the next and the next and the next. And so when we've gone, the gospel won't be gone. And that's why training and teaching other people to know the gospel and to love Jesus, to love grace, to love the word is such a vital part of God in the gospel. But What kind of people is Timothy to entrust this gospel to. Verse 2, what are you looking for? You're looking for reliable men. who will be qualified to teach others. There are two qualifications, reliability and ability. I reckon we think reliable is a bit of a, a boring word, isn't it? He's a very reliable man. A bit of a plodder, a bit boring. It's a beautiful character trait. If you're reliable it means that, that you are not swayed by trends, you're not swayed by ideas, you just stick with the truth you stick with Jesus I reckon Anisiphorus was, was a reliable man uh, five Jesus and Hermogenes homogenes were not What's the second characteristic? They must have the qualification, the ability to teach others, they must be competent in communicating that gospel to other people they're the two characteristics, reliability and ability. Let's push this further. What happens if you entrust the message, the gospel, to somebody who is reliable but not able? If someone's who's reliable but not able, it means that they know their stuff. You know, They can pass a more college exam, but they can't communicate. I hated history at school. <laughs> And the reason I hated history was that my history teacher could not communicate. He had a PhD in history. He knew his stuff. It was all faithful and true. He was just a really boring, dull, bad communicator. And if you've got leaders in churches who are reliable but not able, you'll just sit here every week and the sermon will go right over your head. But I reckon more dangerous, much, 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 much more dangerous, is the man who is able but not reliable. They're very able. They're eloquent speakers. They've got persuasive personalities. They're dynamic in communication. But if what they teach is not true, if they only teach half-truths and part of the gospel, that's a very dangerous thing. And for me this week, I was challenged, does our church here uh, have a strategy for training the next generation of gospel preachers? What's the point of having a a growing church here in 2010 if, you know, if in 50 years' time we haven't trained anybody else, the next generation, to know the truth and to love the truth? But actually, it starts with us individually. If you're a Christian here tonight, then we all have a responsibility to pass on that true message to the next generation. When was the last time you sat down with a younger Christian, someone who was new to the faith, and actually taught them the Bible? I think we love having coffee with each other, but how often do you actually get, the, get your Bibles out and teach the truth to them? You, you guard the gospel by preaching it, by passing it on. The third P is by persevering, by enduring the hardships. When tough times come, you stick with the gospel. When, when life doesn't turn out as you expected, you stick with the gospel. When you're disappointed with God, you stick with the gospel. 2 verse 3, endure, persevere under hardship with us, with the suffering chain, Paul, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That word for endure is the, the persevere word, it's the, it's the endurance race word. Think about it, an endurance race is that you need to have a healthy respect for the race. You need to recognize it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful, there'll be times you think, why am I doing this? It's a long, hard slog. Paul gives us three beautiful examples of how to persevere in the gospel. He says, uh, be a a soldier of Jesus. Endure hardship with like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Uh, Who's our commanding officer? The Lord Jesus Christ. If you've experienced his grace, his love, and his mercy, who are you? You're a soldier of Christ. We do often use the word soldier, do we? We think that we're disciples, we're sons, we're daughters, but you're a soldier of Christ. It just means you're, you're in Jesus' army. He's your commanding officer. You're on the front line for him. You want to serve him. You want to please him. You want to fight for him. I'm a soldier of Christ. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Fight the good fight. Be a soldier for Jesus. Imagine I went to... The army on Wednesday morning this week. And I knocked on the door and said, oh, I'd like to join the army. Why do I do that, Paul? Oh, I've just seen these recent ads on TV. They're really cool. I think I'd be a great soldier. Why do you think that, Paul? I love the uniform. <laughs> I think I would look really good in that uniform. he just laugh at me. he go, Paul, if you want to be a soldier, in two months' time, you could be out there in the battle, on the war, and in, in the war, fighting for your country. Are you prepared to do that? And Jesus is saying to us, you know, if you experience my love and your, my mercy and my grace and my forgiveness, you are a soldier, so get on the front line. Don't waste around doing civilian things. The soldier who's at home mowing his lawn whilst a war is on, the, the soldier who's at the ballet in uniform where all his colleagues are in the battle, it's ridiculous. If you love Jesus, if you've experienced his grace and his mercy, then you wake up every day saying, how can I serve you today, Jesus? What can I do for you today, Jesus? How can I stand up for you in the gospel today, Jesus? I want to give my all for you today, Jesus. And as a pastor of a church, every week there are about 101 good things I could be doing. Making sure that there's tea and coffee every Sunday night, fixing that door handle that's just broken this evening, you know, cleaning the carpets, Looking at architects' plans, looking at finance plans, but what is the frontline gospel ministry? It's sitting down with people and reading the Bible. It's sitting in my study preparing a sermon. It's equipping our leaders to teach the Bible. It's meeting with the unbeliever to talk about Jesus. It's meeting with the discouraged believer to spur them on in their faith. It's all about frontline gospel ministry. And that's the way you guard the gospel. And Jesus is just saying, Are you willing to be my soldier? Think about that this week as you meet up with someone from church. Think about how you can be a soldier for Jesus, how you can point them to Jesus again, open the Bible with them, and spur them on in their faith. The second illustration is the athlete. Uh, Be an athlete, he said in verse 5. If anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, The athlete is the one who recognizes it's a tough race, a long-distance race, and unless you compete according to the rules, you won't get the prize. Uh, What was the problem with uh, a Ben Johnson or a Marion Jones? They cheated. They took drugs. They didn't want to go through the normal pain of being athletes and victors. It's like running a marathon. You know the the blue line for the, the Sydney Marathon? Imagine if the marathon runner ran 25 kilometers on that blue line and saw a bit of a, a shortcut through the Botanical Gardens, thought, oh, I'll just take that shortcut, and then, oh, I've won. You haven't won, because you haven't actually stuck to the blue line. You haven't competed according to the rules. And what are the rules? Live for Jesus, suffer for Jesus, preach the gospel, live, live with him as your Savior and your Lord. They're the rules. Now for me personally, the way that I'm tempted to cheat if you want or to cut corners, I think for me it's being Mr. Popular. You you avoid sitting down with a Christian brother or sister and saying the hard things and pointing to the scriptures because you want them to like you. That's one way that I personally are tempted to cheat and cut corners. What's the way that you're tempted to to be the athlete who thinks I can cut corners and cheat think about that this week what about the farmer the hard working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops the point about the farmer is just that he's hard working he labors he toils in all weathers all seasons all personal circumstances he's out there working hard because if he doesn't work hard there's no food there's no money he's a fighter and that's what we're called to do for Jesus, to work hard for the gospel, to labor, to toil for Jesus. So that's it, is it? If you want to guard the gospel, you just preach it, pass it on, and persevere? Is that what Timothy needs to learn? Is that what Algy Mantis needs to learn? Partly, yes. But, you know, sadly, it's more than possible to <laughs> preach... Train, endure, persevere for Jesus. But this thing called the heart is a long, long, long way away from God. Because the best way you're going to guard the gospel, the only way you're going to guard the gospel, is is if you are personally convinced that Jesus is worth it. That Jesus really is who he says he is. That Jesus is the saviour that Jesus did die for you, that Jesus did rise again. And that's why he says in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Don't just do all this stuff, make sure you remember Jesus. Remember he did rise from the dead, he was descended from David, he is the Messiah, that is the gospel. And the, the beautiful trustworthy saying of verse 11, if we died with Jesus, look at those words, if we died with Jesus. If you've come to the cross, you've sheltered under his sacrificial death. If you have crucified yourself with Christ, then you will live with him for all eternity. If you endure, if you persevere, you'll be seated with him in glory, reigning with him. But verse 12, if you disown him, if you permanently and decisively deny Christ, then on that last day he will say, I don't know you. I find verse 13 encouraging if we are faithless. That means if we doubt, if we question, if you have your ups and downs in your faith, but you're still really trusting in Jesus, it's just really hard work. If you are faithless, God will be faithful because he knows who are his. That's the gospel that Paul preached. And ultimately, that is the way that you will guard the gospel by loving that gospel. I'm going to leave you tonight with one of the most beautiful verses in this whole passage. And I've deliberately skipped it. I wonder whether you noticed that. This is how you're going to guard the gospel. This is what I need to hear, what you need to hear, what Timothy needed to hear, and it's chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my son, my daughter... Literally, keep on being strong, keep on being strengthened, keep on being empowered, keep on being built up, keep on being resilient in the grace, in the undeserved favor that you find in Christ. You know, when you're despondent, when you're discouraged, when you are weak, when people laugh at you, when your world falls apart, what do you do? Please don't do more. Please don't preach more or train more or just persevere more. Come back to Christ. Rest in his grace. Submerge yourself in the grace that's found in Jesus. That grace that saved you. The grace that will equip you to serve. The grace that will equip you to guard the gospel. Because only then will we as a church preach the gospel, pass on the gospel, persevere in the gospel. Because we are in Jesus. Let me pray. You then, my son and my daughter, be strong in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there are people here tonight who are yet to find that joy in the grace that we find in Jesus, that you would... Reveal it to them tonight that they would see Jesus as their saviour, as their Lord, as the one who offers them forgiveness, redemption, life, and immortality. Uh, Father, we pray that we as a church, individually and corporately, would love the gospel, we would love the truth. Lord, I ask ask you to forgive me and forgive us if we teach error, show us please, show us where we're teaching untruths, and Lord, help us to work hard at preaching that gospel and passing it on and enduring hardships for that gospel. Lord Jesus, we love you because you died for us, you were raised from the dead, you were descended from David, and you are our hope and our joy. In Jesus' name.